Well, good morning. All right. It's going to be a quiet crowd today. I guess the men are the loud ones here. Uh, so as, as uh, Rachel mentioned, we have a group of men that are up at uh, Camp Spofford right now, and uh, Pastor Aaron is with them. So I wasn't quite sure what I was walking into today, um, if it was going to be, you know, women's time at Grace Church, and, but it's, I'm glad that all of you are here. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to be going through. When I heard Tim was going to be leading worship, I said, I know I'm preaching, but can I sing? Can I worship with you? Because I'm actually uh, kind of am into worship, and we're talking about worship. So it just kind of all seemed to flow uh, together. So Tim, thank you for leading. Uh, that was, uh, it was awesome. Uh, so let me have you all turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, which Rachel actually used in her prayer. So it's just kind of cool, again, how everything is kind of connecting today. 1 Peter chapter 2, in the Pew Bible there, it is found on page 1014. I will remind you once again, if you do not have a Bible, that blue Bible in front of you is yours to take. We want to make sure that everyone has the Word of God with them. So if you don't have one, take it. That is yours. That's our gift to you. Uh, but we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going through our vision statement during the month of September and October. Uh, Pastor Aaron has talked about glorifying God and what that means. And then last week, uh, discussed what making disciples is all about. Today, we're going to start a more intimate look at our four pillars or the marks of a disciple. Uh, and today, we will learn more about Christ-centered worship. So you can see over the next few weeks where we're going. We've given you a cheat sheet. We're going to be talking about worship, community, service, and then mission. But it's also one of the things that we want you to understand is you don't pick and choose. I like worship and mission. I'll do those too. They're all intimately involved, and they are the marks of a true disciple of Christ. That These are evident in every one of us. Uh, so we want to take some time today to really understand what, um, what worship is all about. So in Second, uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 10, we're going to have it up here, and I'm going to have us all stand and read this together. So let's stand. And the reason I have you do this is because what we're about to read is true of you. When we get to the second half of this, this is what is declared over you as a follower of Christ. So I want it to really mean something as you're saying it. Let's read together. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. That is just an awesome reminder for us. Peter is encouraging us in these verses about our new identity and our new status. We are not a group of individuals, but a community put together by God for God's glory. So don't abandon your place in the world, but be in the world, but not of the world. Peter says that Jesus is a living stone in verse 4, and that we are living stones in verse 5. And I can imagine Peter, as he's writing that, kind of staring off into space because it hits him. He goes, I remember that time that I was with Jesus. He said, your name is, uh, your name is now Peter. You are a rock. And then later on, when Peter makes the declaration that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, and upon this rock, not Peter, but upon the statement that he made, I will build my church. So all this imagery is coming back to him of his first encounter when Christ changed his name. So this is very uh, personal to Peter as he's writing it. He knows that this is something that, that Christ declared over him, but it's something that now is being passed on to us. He's talking about Jesus is the cornerstone and the capstone, but we are the living stones making up the spiritual house. So in describing Christ as the cornerstone in a spiritual house, they would have thought about the temple. Now, cornerstone, if you go out on your way out, check in the far left corner, the cornerstone for this building is over in that corner. I believe it says 1976 on it. I'm looking for some of my church historians. 1976, Rich? Is that? <laughs> it's over there. You're going to see it. That's, that's what's placed because everything is going to be built off of that. That is the foundation for what this building is on. That's what the, the cornerstone is very important. Now, they would have not had access to the temple just as we don't, but Peter says that we make up the temple. And he quotes Isaiah in Isaiah 28, 16. It says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be put in haste. And then he immediately goes to David and quotes him in Psalm 118, 22, where he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus is the foundation of the temple. The cornerstone is what determines the design and the orientation of the entire building. The capstone is the final top piece of a building. If you've ever been to a building where it has an archway in it, that centerpiece is the capstone because all the weight is balanced off of that. So that is what kind of holds it there. 
That is the head of the building, the top piece there. So he's referring to Christ as being the cornerstone, the foundation, but he's also the capstone. He's the final piece. It's all about Jesus is what Peter's trying to get here. Jesus is the one that we are worshiping. He says that Jesus is the living stone, but we are living stones. So close a personal relationship between us and Christ that the same metaphor is used for both. Is that where your relationship is? No one stone makes up a building, but it is all the stones together in community that make up the building. Moving on, not only are we a new spiritual house, but we also are a holy priesthood. We have a new responsibility inside that house. So listen to these words again. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How do you feel as you hear these words declared about you? A lot of times I I work with uh, middle schoolers and high schoolers, and they're just overwhelmed with everything about them. It's like, "I, I, I can't, I can't do this, I'm nothing. And sometimes just to come alongside them and say, but you are, and to give them a a positive statement about who they are, it's just you can see them all of a sudden kind of sit up a little bit straighter and it's like, right, I am that. So these are the words that Christ is speaking, or Peter is, is speaking over you, that you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. We're not just... Uh, as we spoke, uh, I think it was a year and a half ago, we're not exiles that are lost, but God has brought us together. So I want to look a little bit more at the, and focus on the royal priesthood, because this is part of our new responsibility. In the Old Testament, one could only approach God through the priests, but with Christ's victory on the cross, we can come directly to God. So why the name a royal priesthood? First, notice that it is a corporate title. Together, we are a royal priesthood, and we are to offer sacrifices. Not the same sacrifices that the Old Testament priests offered, because Christ was the great sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice of atonement. But we are to offer sacrifices nonetheless. One, I believe, is the sacrifice of self. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, we read, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are called to offer those sacrifices. And if you look the next verse, Romans 12, 2, tells us how we are to live it, by not being conformed to the world. In, uh, in our Sunday school class, we are going through the book of Judges. Pretty exciting for middle school and high school, right? Judges, well, that's exciting. But it's something that we can understand that what was true then of them 
um, trying to live as the world did, is that we still live under those same issues and problems. And it talks about one of the things that happens is we develop spiritual amnesia, which leads to spiritual apostasy. And we talked about compromise, and that's what Paul is talking about in Romans when he says, don't conform to the world. In the the message version says, don't become so much like them that you get confused for them, that there's no difference between you. There should be a difference between us and those that don't follow Christ. Not a holier than thou, but there should be something that separates us, that there is something different about us. Second, I believe the other thing that we are to sacrifice, not only ourselves as a living sacrifice, but we are to offer the sacrifice of praise. 1 Peter 2.9, he says that you are all these things that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness. This is to praise God with both our verbal witness in declaring it, but also in our conduct. If we say that Christ is our Lord, it affects what we believe and it affects the way we act. It affects our morals. It has to. Otherwise, there is no difference. There's no distinction. We were chosen by God to do this. It's it's not what we do, our accomplishments, our jobs, our wealth, our knowledge, but whose we are by which we can do this. The inference here is that the Holy Spirit upon salvation is filling us, and we are made new. That's how we are a holy nation. Old things are passed away, and we are made new. There's something different about us. Peter says in chapter 1, to be holy, for God is holy. He makes us holy so that we can proclaim His excellencies, but also so that our conduct is honorable. This goes back to the first part of our vision statement, glorifying God. By glorifying God, we are declaring, we are making much about, we are worshiping God. So what is worship? Dictionary.com, and every high school is looking at me as I go, you always quote dictionary.com, says it is to render reverent honor and homage to. Reverence is defined as a feeling or an attitude of deep respect tinged with awe. Do we worship God like that? Do we have reverence and honor, and are we in awe? Uh, Every pastor, when they're going through seminary, we spend so much time in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 46, where it says, together they were together, and all the people were in awe of who God was. Are we in awe anymore? Are we surprised by God? Are we excited about what He's doing? I think we need to to recapture the awe of who God is, what He's done for us, and who He has made us to be. Those are the, the three areas that, personally, I worship God for, who He is, what He's done for me, and who He has made me to be. All that's because of Him. It's not me. So I worship God for that. So we're going to make sure AJ is ready up there. When I, send, I don't preach a whole lot, 
So I always kind of like, oh, that's right, I have to do slides. I don't do slides. We're about to go through some slides here. So, uh, get out your pencils. I'm waiting for you. No. So I'm going to be taking you through just ten names of God. Because I think we need to worship Him for who He is. So I'm going to give you ten names and hint, this is, you're going to be talking about this in your small group this week. So you're going to want to write this down, otherwise you're going to sit and stare at each other. I didn't write this down. Did you write it down? Make sure somebody's written it down. Ten names of God, and these, I want, this is homework too. Reasons that you are going to be worshiping God this week. Everyone ready? Ready? All right. Elohim, which means God. And it refers to his incredible power and his might. Genesis 1-1 is a scripture for that. Elohim. Worship him for his incredible power and his might. Number two is Yahweh, which means I am who I am. A couple weeks ago, Aaron just said, oh, this is one of my favorite verses. When God says, when, when Moses says, well, like, who do I say sent me? And he goes, just say I am that covers it. In Exodus chapter 3, 13 to 14, Yahweh means I am who I am and it refers to his eternal existence. Number three, Abba, which means daddy. And refers to the intimate relationship that he has with us. Galatians 4, 6. Number four is El, does somebody say wait? I'll wait. I like that. Guess what? In, in about three minutes, I'm going to ask you to talk back to me. I have it written in here, talk to me. So we're starting early. I like that. All right, so that was Abba, Galatians 4, 6. All right. Number four, El Elyon means God most high. And it refers to his being the God above all gods. Psalm 7, 17. See, now I'm realizing I probably should have put the scripture under these, right? Next time. Number five, El Roy, which means the God who sees. And it refers to his seeing us and watching over us. Genesis 16, 13. God sees you. Number six, El Shaddai. Amy Grant made this song. I just dated myself. Never mind. El Shaddai means God Almighty, and it refers to his power and his might. Psalm 91 1. Number seven, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. Which is just cool. It's not the Lord. The Lord will provide. So wherever you are, if you declare and you worship Him as being Jehovah Jireh because God will provide, and refers to His faithful provision. Genesis 22, 14. Number eight, Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner and refers to His protection leadership, and deliverance for us. 
think of him almost as being a warrior here. You know, anytime, if you look at any kind of, um, like a war movie or something, out front is the flag, is the banner. This is who we're fighting for, and God is your banner. He protects, leads, and delivers us. Exodus 17, 15. Number nine, Jehovah Rapha means the Lord who heals you. And it refers to His healing power and comfort for us and our need. Exodus 15, 26, Jehovah Rapha. And finally, and when I say finally, I don't mean that these are the only ten names. These are like a top ten or my favorite ten, you know, but these are ten that just get you started. Number ten is Yahweh Shalom means the Lord is peace, and it refers to His peace that passes all understanding. Judges 6, 24. Now, you may be hearing some of these, and, and maybe you're thinking, He's not my healer. I still have the cancer. He hasn't provided for me. I'm still in need. I don't feel that He's fighting or protecting me because I'm still giving in to the temptation and the enemy is still beating me down. These are things that we need to declare because they are true of him. And we need to be pursuing them and resting in the truth of them. We have so many reasons to worship God. And when, when Tim gets back up, we're going to sing 10,000 reasons. And there's so many more than that. I was actually joking when we rehearsed that my sermon was going to be, I'm going to be listing all 10,000 reasons. Again, it just gets you started. You know, just the number of reasons why I worship Him. This is where we talk back and forth. So this morning, what is it that you worship God for? Not rhetorical. It's a real question. All right, there we go. All right, for all of the above. What else are you worshiping God for this morning? Salvation. Salvation. Amen. What else? You guys aren't used to talking back, are you? <laughs> Deliverance. Yep. All right. Peace. That was, there was a couple of those. Yeah. Grace. Healing. Again, this just gets us started. We could go on and on. If you've ever been here at one of our Thanksgiving Eve services, you kind of get started, and then it gets on a roll. And I bet if we had more time and just kept going, it would just, I would have to say, guys, it, it, it's 1.30. We need to go. But these are the different reasons that we worship God. We, we need to realize that worship is more than the songs that we sing. You know, we come in and we have the songs. You know, oh, I don't really like that song. Oh, this, oh, I love this one. I worship God in that one because I really didn't like that one, so I didn't worship him. It's, worship is not based on the songs that we sing. And it's not whether we kneel, stand, or sit. 
tonight in, in, uh, in Common Ground, we're going to have some worship, and one of the first things I tell them to do is you worship how you want to. Some people will sit, some people will stand, some will have their hands raised. I think we've had a couple times where people have actually fallen on their knees because it's just like, ah, God is this, and so much more. Some people will just stand in silence because the, they're allowing the words to, to, to wash over them, the truth of them. It's not the building that we're in. It's not worship. We don't go to worship. I know I say that all the time. Oh, I'm going to go to worship now. So it's a place now. It's a verb, noun, adverb, adjective. Worship is all of those things. It's about our spirit connecting with God's spirit and telling Him how much we love Him. That's what worship is. When we do that, our worship will engage our spirit in the pursuit of truth, and God will be pleased with what we offer Him as our sacrifice of praise. John 4, 23, Jesus says this, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. We must worship in spirit and truth. Now, as I said, worship is, is not a place that we go to on Sundays from 10 to 11.15. It's not even, you know, again, I said tonight in youth group, we're going we're gonna, to, I think I say let's worship. I should say let's sing. You know, that's part of worship. And it's not just that as well. It's a lifestyle that worships God continually every day through the good and the bad. I read something recently, and I I thought it was a great quote, so I'll read it to you. And when they have completed their corporate exaltation of the glories of God, it's when we gather corporately, they continue that worship in a thousand daily tasks where the supreme worth of Christ governs their lives. Let me read that again. And when they have completed their corporate exaltation of the glories of God, they continue that worship in a thousand daily tasks where the supreme worth of Christ governs their lives. That's the kind of worship that we need to be pursuing with a passion. JMU. Let that out there. So I'm kind of into this school called JMU. Any Saturday, purple. Um, it's one of my four favorite sports teams because I have a lot of my money because three of my kids went there. Actually, all three. When it says three of my kids, it sounds like I have more than three, doesn't it? All my kids went. So last, Saturday, uh, last Thursday, because of the hurricane, the game got moved to a Thursday night game. Now, did I just, did I do nothing and then all of a sudden kick off? All right, now I'll cheer. Yeah, go Dukes. Win 73 to 7. It's kind of a boring game, actually. And then when it's over and the clock ticks down, I go, all right, done. No, if you follow me on any social media, I'm showing everything about JMU and all their wins. I'm wearing, I'm wearing the colors all week. I'm talking about them. I know the fight song. I'm into to JMU. And you know that. 
about me, if you've, yeah, everyone's, you know, if you know anything about me. And no, I didn't go there. Everyone says, but you're so much into them. So what about worship? Do we only worship from 10 to 11, 15? From the opening prayer to the closing prayer, it's all about God. 11, 15, I'm walking out the door, and now it's back to me. I need to go live my life. And it's, then next week I'll go back to worship again. Or do we follow God throughout the week through prayer, scripture reading? Do we tell everyone how great He is during the week? And I wrote this down. I don't know if it makes sense. Do we wear His colors for everyone to see? Think about that. If people see us and they go, there's a Christ follower, man, they just, I know what kind of week they had, and they're still worshiping. There's something about them. Are we wearing His colors throughout the week? Worship is a lifestyle that we corporately do every Sunday as a result of those in-between times. So when we gather, we're encouraging each other. We're talking to each other going, this is what God did for me this week. What did God do for you this week? That's awesome. Oh, we're standing and singing now. We're singing, He's an everlasting God. We're singing, we're coming to the altar because of what He's done during the week as a group. We're coming to the altar now to worship Him for who He is. Maybe you're coming in and going, this is a tough week. It was really hard to worship God this past week. And somebody will say something, or it might be a scripture that gets read, a line in a prayer is like, I needed that. That to me is the importance of corporate worship. We're here to encourage each other for those times where it's hard to do. God did not call us to live this life alone. He called us to live it next week in community. And we're going to learn more about that. What does that mean? How does the worship that I have in community actually spur me on to serve Him and go on mission? Not a mission trip. Go on mission for Christ to make my life a mission. See how they're all so intimately involved? And then when you go on mission for Christ, He, 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 he shows up and He surprises you. He's like, oh, I worship Him. I want to tell others about the worship I have for him. Where can I work? Where can I serve and help others to do that? I'm going on mission again. I want to worship. I could do this all day. This is what a disciple lives. You're just going around and around. You're not going around and around in a bad way. But you are in that, and everything is about Christ. Remember the very first part of our vision statement is glorifying God. And all four of those are glorifying to God. If we do it and we're seeing who He is, we're worshiping for who He is, what He has done for us, and who He has made us through Christ Jesus. You'll have some more opportunities to talk about that in your grace groups this week. Because that's, again, when you get into those small groups where you're kind of saying, did that make sense? It was hard for me to to really understand where he's coming from. And somebody can speak into your life and encourage you. You might be the encouraging, uh, have an encouragement for someone. We worship Christ for who he is. Let's pray.